This is Jen from Grace for Single Parents, where your parenting and God's grace collide. Today on the podcast, I have Richard Caprolia. Richard has been a mental health and substance abuse counselor for over two decades, including over a decade of treating teens and adults at Miniger Clinic in Houston, Texas. He's also the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. We have a great talk today about teens and their drug use. What kind of drugs are they doing now? What kind of warning signs should we look for as parents? And what to do if we suspect that a child is using a substance? Also, I answer a few questions from the audience that they send in ahead of time. Welcome to the show, Richard. I'm happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. So what led you to write a book about teen substance abuse? Well, I had worked in the mental health and substance abuse field for over two decades now. And uh, about a decade of that was as a addictions counselor at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital serving adults and adolescents. And during that time, I worked with many, many adolescents and many families of adolescents. Um, and, and I would oftentimes sit with them and I would go over their child's history of using a substance. Uh, how much they had used, when they began using, how often they were using, and give them a diagnosis of substance abuse disorder. And when I finished, they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say something like, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. Now, these were good parents. These are very good parents doing the best jobs that they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I left Menninger, retired from Menninger, uh, after about a decade of working there, I wanted to write this book. It's called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I kept it short. It only runs around 100 pages because I recognize that parents are busy. They don't have time to read volumes of information. So I kept it short, around 100 pages, but I packed it with a lot of information that I think parents hopefully will find uh, helpful and useful. And my goal is to is to equip parents with knowledge. Knowledge is power. I want them to feel empowered after reading this book, less paranoid about teen substance abuse, which can be a very scary subject, but, but more empowered that if they have to confront this issue, they feel better prepared to be able to do it. So that was my goal in writing the book. That's great. I have two teenagers myself. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are some drugs available now that weren't when I was a teen, like vaping and Molly. Um, But I would love to hear from you what kind of drugs that you think that the teens have been using and maybe what changes there's been over the past few years. Well, teenagers are still attracted to uh, alcohol and marijuana as their primary substances. There is some experimentation uh, of other so-called hardcore drugs, um, uh, cocaine, uh, prescription drugs, over-the-counter drugs, things like that. But really, it, it tends to be around less than 5%. The majority of teenagers that get involved with substances are attracted to alcohol and marijuana um, until we 
got involved with this pandemic, there had been a dramatic surge in the number of teenagers that were vaping substances like nicotine and, and marijuana. Vaping is a process where they'll take a substance like nicotine and marijuana, you'll, they'll use an instrument like a vaping pin that turns it into a vapor, and then they inhale it. Well, just until we got to the, uh, to, to, to the pandemic, we had seen a dramatic surge, a dramatic increase in the number of teenagers that had turned to vaping. It was really becoming alarming. Um, so the substances continue to be alcohol, marijuana, uh, nicotine vaping, um, and, and uh, tobacco vaping, nicotine and, and marijuana vaping. Um, the thing that's concerning is that when we look at the, the teenage drug use situation, there are two things that really drive teenagers using substances. The first is availability. Teenagers know that these drugs are readily available and that they have no problem getting them if they want them. 85%, 85% of high school seniors tell us that marijuana is really easy for them to get if they want it. And 90% tell us alcohol is no problem. If they want alcohol, they can easily find it. So these drugs are readily available to teenagers and they know it. The other issue is sense of harmlessness or harmfulness. How harmful do these teenagers think these substances are? And what we're finding is they don't think they're very harmful. Only 22%, only 22% of high school seniors say using marijuana on a regular basis is risky. Only 22%. Only about 22% of high school seniors tell us that drinking alcohol uh, nearly every day, drinking alcohol nearly every day, they don't think that's very risky either. So when you combine the fact that these drugs are readily available and teenagers know they're readily available and they don't think they're harmful, that accounts for a lot of the substance abuse that we see among the teenage population. Wow. Well, um, I do know that vaping is very popular because my kids have indicated even in middle school that kids would be in the bathroom vaping. Yeah. I did not realize though, that you could vape with marijuana. I just thought it was nicotine. So yeah, that's it's, news it's, to me. It's, it's, it's both. Now, the other thing that I would note is that what we have seen is that because of the pandemic, uh, the, the percentage of teenagers using substances has gone down dramatically. The pandemic affected it. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that last year, kids were pulled away from schools, they were pulled away from classrooms, they yeah. were pulled away from their social activities and their extracurricular activities, and pretty much confined to home. So what we saw last year was a dramatic decline in the percentage of kids that were using substances. Now, we'll know early next year whether or not that rebound because kids are back in school and we'll see if there's an increase this year. But last year there was a, a decrease because of the pandemic. So what warning signs should parents look out for with their children? Well, that is such a critical issue because so many parents, have, as I said, have missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So in my book, I have warning signs on a, a teenager that might be using marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I also have warning signs on a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-harming themselves because sometimes uh, an eating disorder or self-harming might 
accompany a child using a substance. So parents need to know what those warning signs are too. Those are all in the book. But as a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to the changes that you see. Don't assume that what you're seeing is just normal adolescent acting out. That might very well be the case, but it also might be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that, that you want to know about. So some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline, a child who's getting into disciplinary problems at home or at school, a child who used to participate and enjoyed participating in sports no longer shows any interest in participating, a child who used to introduce you to, your, to their friends, you knew who their friends were, you might have even known who their family members were, now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. And then of course, if you uh, come across any strange odors in the house, particularly your child's room, or you find any substances around the house, then I think uh, you, you, you should be concerned and, and, and move to the next step, which is to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book from the professionals so that you have uh, a, a, a good overview of what your child is going through and what some options are. So I was going to ask, how do you confront your child when you have a suspicion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that something that a parent should do on their own first is just go directly and talk to the child? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And that's ex and that is exactly what I would recommend parents do. The first thing you want to do when you're concerned is have a conversation with your child. And by that, I mean, don't confront the child, don't threaten the child, don't accuse the child. Uh, you want to come at this conversation from an inquiring point of view. And by that, I mean, express what you're seeing express what you're feeling and ask the child to give you feedback. For example, I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? Or I have these concerns that you may be using a substance. Can you help me understand why I have these concerns? You're inviting the child to participate in a discussion with you about what your concerns are. And you're expressing those concerns to the child. You're not accusing the child of doing anything, but you're expressing your feelings and your concerns and inviting that child to participate in a discussion about what you're feeling and what you're seeing. Now, that's a discussion that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive and angry, or the child might actually give you some information that could be helpful. But, but regardless of how that discussion goes, um, if you're still concerned as a parent, then the next thing you want to do is move and get the assessments done that I recommend in my book. That includes an addictions assessment and a neuropsychological or a psychological assessment to see if there's any underlying issues that your child might be struggling with. Because many times what we find is that a child that's using a substance is using that substance to medicate an underlying issue. For example, most of the kids that I worked with at Menninger Clinic who were smoking marijuana multiple times a day, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. Mm 
It helps me. So there are not every kid, not, not for every kid, but for some kids, there may be an underlying psychological reason why they're using a substance. Maybe it's to deal with anxiety or depression or trauma. Um, maybe it's an emerging personality disorder. But as a parent, you want to be able to rule in or rule out whether or not your child is confronting any of those issues. So when you mentioned the assessments, are those something they you get from your pediatrician or where are those found at? Well, you want those from uh, professionals who specialize in um, doing addictions assessments or uh, people who specialize in doing psychological or neuropsychological assessments. So you're going to be looking at uh, people who are uh, school counselors, uh, uh, school social workers, or psychologist or neuropsychologist. Um, uh, so, you, so you're going to want to rely on, on people who are professionally trained and educated and have experience at doing these assessments. And that's generally going to be people like a school counselor that can do some of these assessments, a school psychologist or social worker, or a psychologist or social worker in private practice. They're all uh, capable of doing these assessments and giving you the information that you need as a parent. Okay. So I was thinking as you were talking earlier, how they 90% or so of high school seniors don't see it as being a problem or a big deal, the marijuana and the drinking. How as a parent, should we talk to our kids about this kind of stuff when they have that set in their minds that it's really not a big deal? You know, that, uh, that's, that's usually what you're going to confront as, as a parent, a, a, a child, a teenager telling you, you know, what's the big deal? Why are you so concerned? You may have even uh, heard a child say, well, you did drugs too when you were young. Um, what I found in working with teenagers is that it doesn't do much good to tell them drugs are illegal. It doesn't do much good to tell them that, you know, if they continue to use, things are going to happen. They may, their grades may go down. They may not graduate. They may drop out. They may not go to college. They may not get a job. They don't believe any of that stuff. Um, but what does work, what I found does work, is a neuroscience approach. Kids are very interested in the neuroscience. They're interested in how their brain works. They're interested in what their brain does. So I would spend time with these teenagers and I would educate them on what their brain does, uh, what different areas of the brain are responsible for. So they began to see that there are different areas of the brain that are vitally important to what they want to do, speak, walk, you know, all these activities, think, process information. And I would stress upon them the fact that their brain is not fully developed until around 24 or 25, till age 24, 25. So they want to protect that developing brain that they were interested in. And then when they got that concept, then I began to talk to them about how drugs work in the brain. So first they understand the brain. They learn the neuroscience of the brain, the basics. Then they are introduced into how do drugs work in the brain? How do drugs change the brain? I have a chart in my book that shows where marijuana attaches itself to in the brain. And they were interested in that. They want to know how the brain works. And they're very curious as to how drugs affect the brain. And I think that's a route that parents can go to perhaps impress upon their child the importance of protecting that brain and how drugs work 
in the brain. Um, that's the approach that I used with teenagers. It's the approach that captured their attention and sometimes made a difference. That's really good. I would not have thought of that. that that's good. So I have a few questions that um, yeah. some of my readers have asked. Okay. And I think they're really good questions. The first was, how should I answer my teen when he asks what drugs I did in high school? That's a great question. In fact, that's such a good question that I address it in, on page 33 of my book. Um, because kids, kids may very well ask, you know, what, what drugs did you do when you were my age in high school? And it's not unusual that the parent may have very well experimented with substances like marijuana or may have drank alcohol. And I think that's an opportunity for the parent to, to you know, have a discussion about, you know, their exposure to substances and what it did to them. And, and to look back and, and, and learn from the experience that, you know, I, I, I may have had this experience. If they, if they noticed any negative consequences as a result of their own use, they, certainly, they could share those with the child. Um, there's nothing wrong in saying, you know, I wish I'd never done that. You know, if I had it all over to do again, I wouldn't do it. And this is why I wouldn't do it. Um, um, you know, but that's a decision that every parent has to make, whether or not they feel comfortable sharing their past substance abuse history with a child. If they do, I think it can be a constructive conversation that will uh, lead to perhaps educating the child and teaching them that, um, you know, mistakes are okay. I made some mistakes, learned from my experience. And if I had it to do over again, I probably wouldn't do the same thing. Should I be concerned about marijuana when it's legal in our state? Absolutely. Absolutely. You should be concerned. And the reason I say that is because of what I said earlier, um, the developing brain of an adolescent. Many states have legalized marijuana, but it's for adults. It's not for adolescents. Um, where, where marijuana is legal, it's, it's legal for adults, not adolescents. And there's a very good reason for that. Again, the brain is developing. You have a very vulnerable adolescent brain that is developing um, until, like I said, age 24, 25. So you don't want to introduce any illicit substance, whether it's marijuana, whether it's cocaine, whether it's any type of illicit substance into that developing brain. It runs the risk of doing damage. Now, you may not see that damage. It may not be obvious to you, but it's there. The kids that I worked with uh, that were smoking marijuana, we would do a psychological and a neuropsychological assessment on them. And these were very bright kids. These kids' IQs were above average to superior. So they're very smart kids. But when the test came back, the kids that were using marijuana, what I noticed was that the processing speed of their brain was below average their short-term memory was impaired and their motivation was below average. So you may not see some of these subtle changes that are going on within your child's brain, but they're happening. So absolutely, uh, marijuana should not be legalized for adolescents and adolescents because of the developing brain should not be using anything like marijuana or any illicit subject, the sub, uh, um, any illicit drug because it runs the risk of, of damaging that vulnerable and developing brain. Okay. And I think you'll probably have the same answer to the next one, which is 
What do you say to parents that they want their child to try alcohol or try marijuana in their home if they're going to try it? You know, the old, they're going to do it anyway. I might as well give them a safe environment. What do you think about that? Well, again, you're right. The same response. Uh, Because of the child's developing a vulnerable brain. This is not something that you want to risk. Uh, it is no more safer to, to smoke marijuana in, in the family home than it is out in the street. And it has the same effect on the brain. Um, so you should not allow your child to smoke marijuana or drink alcohol or use any illicit substance um, you know, in, in your home. There's actually been research done on, uh, on parents who have taken the approach that it's okay for my child to drink alcohol as long as they only do it in my home. Mm -hmm. And what the research showed was that those children whose parents have said, it's okay if you drink alcohol, but you have to do it in our home, not outside the home, only in the home. What the research shows is that those kids later went on and left the home and went off to college and they ended up smoking or they ended up drinking a lot more than kids who came from homes where it was discouraged. Well, I think your book sounds wonderful and I'll definitely link to it and I will probably grab a copy for myself. Um, Do you have any last words for parents? Um, the last word is actually a, 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 a word of hope. Um, you know, if, uh, if you are going through this or, or you do go through it in the future, there is hope. There is treatment that's available. The earlier you intervene, like with any other problem, the earlier you intervene, the more likely you are to get a handle on this. Um, I encourage per- parents to not be paranoid about this issue not be afraid of it because it is a scary subject. We tend, tend to shy away from it, uh, but learn as much as you can. Learn the basics, feel, feel empowered, feel, feel better prepared to deal with this. You know, hope and pray that you never have to, but, but, but feel confident that, that if you have to deal with it, you will recognize the warning signs early, you will intervene early and you will get treatment uh, if needed. And, and, and you and your family can get through this. Uh, And the other thing I would say finally to parents is if you're going through this, we often forget the parents. We often don't recognize that the parents going through a crisis too. It's not just the kid, the parents going through a crisis as well. So if you go through this as a parent and get some help, get some support, build a support system around you and reach out and get some support for yourself because as a parent, you deserve that and you're going to need it. So, 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 build a support system around yourself. Great. Yeah. Where can listeners find you? Um, they can, uh, they can reach me through the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, helptheaddictedchild.com. There's some, some uh, blog articles that I've written uh, on there uh, about how the pandemic affected uh, um, teenage substance abuse. There's another one on how the pandemic affected teenage mental health. Mm. Um, there's links where you can buy the, uh, the book, either as a Kindle or, or as a paperback. And there's also a parent work 
workbook that I would encourage parents to get to. It's very small, but uh, it, it, it addresses the issue that I thought was important in that I wanted parents to have something for themselves. I wanted them to have a workbook so that they had an opportunity to write down what they're going through, how they're feeling. It has some tips on how to deal with anxiety and, and, and how to talk to your child by, by listening to not just their words, but their, but their feelings as well. So all of that's available on the book's website, helptheaddictedchild.com. And there's a link that if anybody wants to ask me a question or reach, reach out to me, uh, they're able to do that as well. Great. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and for helping me with this discussion. If you're a single parent, I invite you to check out my free ebook, Parenting Alone with Confidence. You can find it on graceforsingleparents.com and it'll be in the show notes. Thanks for listening.